Welcome to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, Amy, Todd, and Carl discuss a neglected aspect of pastoral ministry, the abuse some pastors receive from their congregations. Todd and Carl share from their ministry experience and help shed light on a rarely discussed topic. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to download a free MP3 about God's sovereignty over the call of pastors. So me and the guys are on a search right now, and we are trying our darndest to find what we have heard to be called a safe place. It seems to be a buzzword now in the evangelical community, and we're a little confused on uh, what that is and where we can find one. Carl, any luck? Um, not really, no. I mean, safe place is one of those gibberish terms, completely <laughs> ridiculous in many ways. Uh, I think probably had its, it probably had decent enough origins in, say, battered women wanting to find a safe place to be. But it's since been appropriated by the, the sort of chatocracy of the, the politically correct world. And essentially, you know, I think a safe place is somewhere I can go or be where I'm not going to have to listen to any opinion that I disagree with. I'm not going to have to put up with anybody criticizing me. So it's no wonder it's becoming very popular in, in kind of reformed evangelicalism these days. It's, Sounds like a it's very much, place. Yeah, it's the kind of magical gibberish that, uh, that the young, restless and reformed will no <laughs> doubt be heavily into, even as they cruise into middle age. Mm. It does actually raise, though, uh, uh, a serious question. If having trashed the phrase, I can now, now use it. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd. Should churches yeah. be safe places for pastors? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Because uh, statistically, from some studies that have been done, uh, as well as just observable experience, there are a lot of churches that are not, quote, safe places for pastors. Uh, we hear a lot, and I think appropriately so, about bad pastors, about incompetent pastors. They're out there, and there's probably a lot of them. Um, Some of them are famous. Some of them will never know their name. Some of them last in ministry for a long time. Some of them are in and out in 18 months. Mm -hmm. That said, there are a lot of bad churches out there as well. Um, There are abusive pastors, but there are also abusive churches. Uh, There are pastors that harm their congregations, and there are churches that harm their pastors. And it's the latter that I don't think we hear much about. Um, And I think that's unfortunate because there's a lot of pastors that have been deeply wounded, they've been battered in their churches. That's not to say that pastors don't need to be ready to encounter opposition. Uh, I think most pastors understand that. What I'm talking about are the churches that are genuinely toxic, uh, churches that have a long track record of chewing up their pastors and spitting them out. And I think within denominations, as well as in certain communities, there are churches that are known for this sort of activity. There are churches that are known for going through pastors, you know, every couple of years, and sometimes even more frequently than that. Um, and I think we need to pay attention to that. Um, and I think churches that are bad churches need to be confronted, need to be held accountable, if, if, if that's even possible. I think with independent non-denominational churches, that's relatively impossible. 
but certainly within denominational structures. Denominations need to pay attention Mm -hmm. to those churches that recycle and recycle pastors over and over again. Right. Todd, you wrote a really good series of articles for uh, and about battered pastors. I think it was a five-part series. Mm -hmm. And one thing that you said in there that stuck out to me was um, a consumerist church cannot abide a prophetic pastor. Mm. And I just was really thinking about that because so, you know, what, what are the factors that would lead to a church body being so toxic like this, mm-hmm. um, you know, wanting a pastor's downfall yeah. so badly? Do you mm-hmm. think that um, technology has played a role in this? Uh, maybe the whole um, era of the celebrity pastor and, and the accessibility that we have to um, you know, perfectly edited sermons online and, mm-hmm. and, and these such yeah. things? You know, it, it's it's hard to say. I think that um, certainly uh, that's a contributing factor in our day. Um, I think we'll also find historically, though, that, that there are uh, battered pastors uh, in the church's history going a, a long way back. I, I know one of the things when I was in a situation where I was just getting... Uh, you know, torn apart um, in a church. One of the things that helped me a lot was reading uh, things by and about pastors. For instance, a couple of guys I hung out with a lot, so to speak, were um, Charles Simeon and Charles Spurgeon, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, both long dead guys, um, but who themselves had experienced some real um, toxic opposition um, in their churches, particularly Simeon, who, you know, preached to locked pews for 12 years because he was pastor of a church that didn't want him. And I needed to read about him because I needed to learn about endurance uh, during uh, the time when I was getting uh, beat up. Um, I, I think there's lots of different reasons why churches go bad and why churches batter their pastors. A lot of it has to do with unmet expectations. I think, Amy, your point about how churches see and hear from pastors who are just super, super skilled and have star power, and they want their pastor to not be average. And uh, and they might beat him up for not being as great uh, or dynamic a preacher as, you know, you name the, the, the well-known pastor. I think certainly that's a contributing factor in, in some situations. Do you think some of this opposition may come as a result of a pastor trying to change the culture or perhaps the direction of the church, even slightly? It's my impression as a preacher that if if you don't preach commitment, for example, you don't get commitment. The preaching really does have an impact on the ethos and culture of a congregation. And if you have a pastor coming into a church deciding, you know, this church has been very complacent for a long time. I need to start preaching commitment. I need to start preaching Christianity is more than just an hour on a Sunday of sitting passively listening or singing a few happy songs. Do you think that kind of thing quite often factors into some of the uh, the battered pastor phenomenon, the legitimate battered pastor phenomenon that you've been highlighting? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's actually a huge piece of it. I think um, pastors need to be very aware that when they're going to an established church, that uh, if change does need to happen, it's going to have to be very, very gradual. Um, and sometimes pastors aren't patient with that. The, the other thing a pastor has to watch out for is that he's before he goes into a, a, a church, he needs to get a relatively realistic view of who they are. 
listen, you know, churches, if they're wanting to hire a pastor, they're going to put their best foot forward. They're going to look unified, even if, even if they're not. Uh, my own experience has been that if, if a church is, let's say, um, fairly broad evangelically, um, then they shouldn't hire a pastor who makes it clear, for instance, that he's reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if if a, if a pastor who is has a clear theological denti- identity about himself, say that he's reformed, um, he should not go into a church that's very clear that they are very broad evangelically speaking. Um, that's just asking for trouble. Now, if a church tells this pastor, hey, look, um, we, we've, we've got pretty wide tent pegs, but we know that that's probably not good these days. We, wanna, we really want to define our doctrinal boundaries. Then that church needs to be realistic about what that's going to cost them. Um, if they hire a pastor saying he's going to really help us define who we are and really kind of help us examine our, our theological boundaries, then they need to be ready for some tension. They need to be ready for some conflicts that are going to come. Um, but I, th- I think that that process is really hard to go through. You know, when, when you're trying to find a position in a church, when a church is trying to find a pastor, you often don't talk about those things, mm-hmm. and you don't discover them until you, until you get there. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. I was, I was looking at some t- statistics when I was writing those posts, and, and I think it was in 2007 when uh, an 18-year study was, was put out by the Francis Schaeffer Institute on uh, church leadership development. It got a lot of press. Um, got it really went the rounds when the when their findings were were released. I believe it was 2007, um, because the t- the statistics were really frightening. I mean, um, uh, one of the things that they found was that um, about 1,300 uh, pastors were terminated by their local church each month. Now, certainly, bad pastors. Are a, are a percentage of that reality, mm-hmm. but not every one of them. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't want to guess or speculate as to how we could divide that up between bad pastors and bad churches. But, but the church in America, I think, has a crisis on its hands with um, firing otherwise competent men who just get on the wrong side of the wrong people. Would you think, too, that maybe um, in a pastoral search committee, maybe there's a couple people who do see some areas in their church where they need growth that they haven't been getting, mm-hmm. or maybe there is a, a more broadly evangelical church and a couple people on the, the search committee yeah. would really like to see a reformed pastor come yeah. in. Yeah. And then they make that happen. And then really it sets the stage for this conflict, but then uh, the numbers are against them when it comes yeah. to really having the pastor's back and um, yeah. being able to handle the storm that's just been created. Yeah, I think that's huge. And, and I, I think the reason why I so identify that was, is that that was my experience. Um, I, I, I was entering a situation where I was told by well-placed people in the church, including elders, that, that hey, listen, we're a Reformed church. I had one elder tell me at a, at a church before I started that, look, we're basically a PCA church. We're just not a part of the denomination. So these were things I was being told because there were people in leadership in that church that really wanted a Reformed pastor. What I didn't know is that there were people that were horrified at that prospect. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I didn't know that until um, a few months in to my tenure. And what I what I found is that I had stepped into a church that had some pretty deep doctrinal divisions 
among the leadership even. And I was completely ignorant of that fact. Um, some of that I'm sure was my fault, but I was being told some pretty definitive statements about the church, which turned out to not be true. Mm. And that's just a recipe for, for, for some deep conflicts. Mm-hmm. So you know, like if, if you do have a problem with a pastor mm-hmm. and you want to handle it in a correct way, yeah. how, you know, how would you advise a congregant to go about doing that? Yeah. You know, it, it would be great if, if, for instance, if your pastor preaches something that has you scratching your head, ask him about it. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to him about it. If, um, if, if it's substantive and you feel like you need to confront your pastor over an issue that, that you think is pretty serious, maybe he did something that really hurt you, um, you need to go to him. But, but perhaps it could be helpful to, um, uh, to ask that an elder be present. You know, if you're intimidated by this man, even if it's not really legitimate, you know, maybe have an elder present. Um, but what you don't do is you don't go to your Sunday school class and start saying, this guy is a problem and we need to do yeah. something about him. Yeah. yeah. I think this is where good books of church order and books of discipline yes. come into account. I mean, they're very tedious documents in many ways, yeah. but if you have a set of rules and regulations laid out for handling problems, then there's a process in place. Exactly. And of course, right. the whole point of having a process in place is that everybody gets heard, the innocent and mm-hmm. the guilty both have the right to a fair trial in extreme right. situations. It's very good to have a book to which one can be held to account. Now, among evangelical Christians, Reformed Christians, the details of those books can vary. The Bible doesn't contain a book of church order, right. but it does lay out some basic principles that should inform how the the local variations or the local precise details are are articulated. Right. Uh, and again, I think for me, this is one of the advantages of Presbyterianism that yes. it doesn't stop with the local congregation. Now, right. no system is perfect. Presbyterianism uh, can be taken over at every level by bad or weak people. Mm-hmm. But a congregant, if if you go through a discipline case, for example, in, in my church, a congregant has 10 days to appeal the verdict to mm-hmm. a higher court. Right. So my, my session can't simply move to excommunicate somebody. They have the right to appeal that to a, a higher court, and then they have the right to appeal it to a higher court still, to the General Assembly, if they wish. Right. And those sort of checks and balances are important for preventing churches becoming cults, right. becoming centers of personality power. And we've right. got some, on this program, we have good friends who are Baptists and independents. And there's much I appreciate about Baptist and independent church life. But it always seems to me that you're one, you, you've taken down a couple of defense barriers right. that stop you from degenerating into a personality cult as soon as you restrict all the power functionally to the local congregation and thereby really to the people in that congregation who wield power, whether they right. do it formally or informally. Right. Every congregation has its inner circle that wield power. Yep. And the question always has to be, to whom are they accountable? Exactly. Every church has elders. That's a tough question. Yep. Every church has elders. Every church has a governing body. It's either formally and appropriately constituted, or it's the richest people or the people who are charter members or whatever. But every church has those leaders to to whom the pastor is going to end up having to answer. The, 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 The great thing about being in a denomination where there are church courts is if a pastor's being beat up He can go to the presbytery, for instance, in my case, and say, look, here's what's happening. But also, 
to guard against the fact that you might actually have a renegade or bad pastor, that congregation, that session can go to the presbytery as well. There's church courts, there's procedures where wise and godly men can look at this and say, you've just got a bad pastor or you've got a session that's out of control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or, you know, and, and there's a procedure to help handle that. If you're in an independent church, that can get really tricky. Yeah. If, or if you're in a denomination that really doesn't have any formal uh, church court structure, you don't have that process to go through. And, and as a result of that, you've got guys potentially that can just get murdered. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget the day where um, an elder pulled me aside at a previous church where I was just getting beat to death. And he said, Todd, this church can be a real meat grinder. And he, he was a guy who'd been there for a long time and saw pastor after pastor just get, you it's know, horrible to be known for that to. as a church. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It what is a horrible and reputation. It, yeah, exactly. And it takes a lot to change that sort of a culture. It takes yeah. a lot. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, we're going to continue to see this. I, I would recommend, I would recommend church sessions, particularly in independent or more congregational churches to read a book, um, called Battered Leaders. Um, the uh, it's a husband and wife team that authored it, Balda and Balda, and um, you know it's not a book that I would normally have read. Uh, they they work with Fuller Seminary, which you know that would have taken it out immediately for me. But um, you know they're they're egalitarians, but they wrote an extremely helpful book exposing what goes on when a leader in an organization is battered, and they apply it particularly to churches. And it's very, very helpful. And I think a church maybe that has a has a history of seeing pastors get run off, if they were to sit down and read that book, it would help them with a diagnosis, perhaps, of what's wrong in their culture. And if you're a battered pastor out there, I would recommend you live in Second Corinthians for encouragement. I would recommend you read a little uh, commentary on Second on Corinthians by Doug Kelly called New Life in the yeah, Wasteland. Yeah. I would also recommend you read John Piper's little book called uh, The Roots of Endurance. Yeah. Um, those could be in, helpful for you. I would throw in Scott Haferman's commentary on Second Corinthians yes. as well. Yes, I mean, Haferman's, excellent. he's more of a new perspective guy than I would be, but his commentary mm-hmm. on Second Corinthians is absolutely outstanding. Yep, it's very if you're good. wanting a meaty commentary that also mm-hmm. reads devotionally, Haferman is, is excellent. Yeah. Yep. When I was in the midst of, of my junk, one of the things that I kind of lived in uh, was I, I would listen uh, to John Piper's little, uh, biographical messages on Charles Simeon and Charles Spurgeon. Those were just kind of, I, I listened to each of those literally scores mm-hmm. of times just to, just to anchor myself and, and to be yeah. encouraged in the midst of that. Because you never know, the Lord might leave you in a battering situation for years. I was very fortunate in that I was only in a situation like that for a handful of years. Some guys, you know, as I said, Charles Simeon preached to locked pews for 12 years. And some of you guys out there are, are for whatever reason, by God's providence, going to be in a a situation like that for a long time. And you're going to need those sources of encouragement over the long haul. Well, I think you guys have provided some good resources for a safe place for battered pastors (laughs) to... um, to get some advice from and so thank you for listening and I think I need to get out my nunchucks and beat on these pastors a little bit now Do after it. this conversation knock you guys back down to size I just want to be, be safe. safe I just <laughs> want to be safe Amy watch out boy
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download God's Sovereignty and the Call of the Pastor, a sermon from Eric Redmond. And tune in to Mortification of Spin next week as Carl, Todd, and Amy share their personal favorite worship songs. And they have some good ones. Sweep me away. Sweep me away. Sweep me away. Sweep me away. King Solomon was very wise, and this is what he said. Look not upon the wine, the wine when it is red. That's all next week on The Spin. And don't forget to visit mortificationofspin.org to download your free MP3. We'll see you next week. I mean, with our kids, actually, Barney was the punishment. We used to say to our kids, you must behave. We're going to audition you for Barney. You're going to be those kids on the, on the screen yeah. there doing that dance. Exactly. <laughs>